Okay, well, let's open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, verses 2 through 12. That's our text. We've been going through the Beatitudes, and we're going to continue along that path today. Today, we're going to talk about blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the merciful. How many of you like receiving mercy? Yeah, amen. We all need mercy, don't we? In fact, we use that phrase often, don't we? Have mercy, you know, give me mercy. But sometimes we struggle with giving mercy. And what we're going to discover in this beatitude is that there is a direct relationship to the amount of mercy we give out to what we receive. So um, let's open with our text here in Matthew chapter 5, verses 2 through 12. And he opened his mouth and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be filled. Now that's how far we've gotten so far. And that covers the first division within the Beatitudes. Those things basically are saying, blessed are those who depend on God. They realize that they are poor in spirit, that they desperately need God. They're meek and humble, and they have submitted themselves to God. And they mourn. And so with their mourning, they cry out to God for comfort, and God comes through on these things. And today we're going to enter a new division of the Beatitudes, and this is blessed are those who serve God. Now this is directed not just to those that need something from God, although we desperately need His mercy, but He's beginning to talk about the things that we must do in order to be happy people, blessed people. And He begins with this first one. He says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And today we'll talk about blessed are the merciful. Story's been told about a fellow named Fiorella Lagardia. You probably have heard of Lagardia Airport. He was the mayor of New York during the worst days of the Great Depression and all through World War II. And Mayor Lagardia was often called by New Yorkers the little flower because he was five foot four, and he always wore a carnation on his lapel. Uh, he was a very colorful character, the writers say, and he used to ride New York City fire trucks to different places. He would be involved in raids on the speakeasies when the police would raid. He would take entire orphanages to ball games. That's the kind of mayor that I would like, Amen. They take an entire orphanage to the ball game. And whenever New York newspapers were on strike, he would go on the radio and he'd read the Sunday funnies to the kids over the radio. It said that one bitter, bitter cold night, the mayor turned up at a night court that served the poorest ward of the city. And Lagardia dismissed the judge for the evening and took over the bench for himself. Within a few minutes, a tattered old woman who, brought, who was brought before him charged with stealing a loaf of bread. She told Lagardia that her daughter's husband had deserted her, her daughter was sick, and her two grandchildren were starving. But the shopkeeper from whom the bread was stolen refused to drop the charges. He said, it's a bad neighborhood, Your Honor, and she has to be punished to teach other people around her a lesson. Mayor Lagardia sighed, and he turned to the woman and said, I have to punish you. The law makes no exceptions, $10 or 10 days in jail. But even as he pronounced the sentence, the mayor was already reaching into his pocket. He extracted a $10 bill and tossed it into the hat. And he said, here is the $10 fine, which I now remit. 
And furthermore, I'm going to fine everyone in this courtroom 50 cents for living in a town where a person has to steal bread so that her grandchildren can eat. The bailiff collected the fines and he gave them to the defendant. And so the following day, the newspaper in New York reported that $47.50 was turned over to a bewildered old lady who had stolen a loaf of bread to feed her starving grandchildren. 50 cents of that amount being contributed by the red-faced grocery store owner. While some 70 petty criminals, people with traffic violations and New York City policemen, each of whom had just paid 50 cents for the privilege of doing so, gave the mayor a standing ovation. That was an act of mercy, amen? She came in a thief, she had stolen the bread, but the judge, the mayor, in all of his mercy said, I'll pay the fine. And furthermore, I'll make sure you walk out of here with some money so that you can provide for your own. Billy Graham just turned 95 this year, and, and uh, I ran across this story by Billy Graham, very similar, but uh, uh, it reveals the mercy that we're talking about. It says, when Billy Graham was driving through a small southern town, he was stopped by a policeman and charged with speeding. Can you imagine that? Billy Graham speeding. <laughs> we know that preachers never speed. Graham admitted his guilt, but was told by the officer that he would have to appear in court. Can you imagine the, the policeman that would write a ticket? To Billy Graham. The judge asked, guilty or not guilty? And when Graham pleaded guilty, the judge replied, that'll be $10, a dollar for every mile you went over the speed limit. Suddenly, the judge recognized the famous preacher, and he said, you have violated the law. The fine must be paid, but I'm going to pay it for you. He took a $10 bill from his own wallet, attached it to the ticket, and then took Graham out and bought him a steak dinner. (laughs) Billy Graham said this, That is how God treats repentant sinners. We deserve the penalty, don't we? We've done wrong. We're guilty. But God comes along with His mercy and His grace, and He forgives us. And not only does He forgive us, He makes life wonderful for us. The truth is, every one of us are sinners, aren't we? The Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. And we could, uh, we could say, yeah, but that was before we came to church. That was before we gave our life to Christ. And I think most of us would at least look to the person to our left and right and say, but they're still sinners, right? We're all sinners that deserve far worse than we got. The old Negro spiritual used to sing, he's been better to me than I've been to myself. And that's true and better than we deserve, isn't he? God's grace and his mercy comes along and doesn't give us what we deserve, which is death. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I'm glad for mercy. I don't know about you. I don't want justice because justice would mean that I would die and spend eternity separated from God. But mercy comes along and says, I'm going to take care of that debt. I'm going to send my only son Jesus to die for you on an old rugged cross to wipe out the debt for your sins. That's what mercy is about. One author said this about mercy and those that are merciful. Dietrich Bonhoeffer in The Cost of Discipleship said, The merciful will be found consorting with publicans and sinners. They'll be careless of the shame they incur thereby. In order that they may be merciful, they cast away the most priceless treasure of human life, their personal dignity and honor. For the, the only honor and dignity they know is their Lord's own mercy, to which alone they owe their very lives. And so we transfer from this idea that God has been merciful to us to now he says, happy are you if you're merciful. And then he promises this future mercy. 
I don't know about you, but when I stand before God, I don't want Him to look back across my life and see that it was filled with a lack of mercy. I want God to look across my life and say, blessed are you because you were merciful. And now here as you stand before me, you're going to receive mercy. We need His mercy. Peter Kreft said this, there are no good people at the best of us, uh, at, and the best of us say the, that the most clearly. Saints agree they are sinners. Only sinners think they are saints. And then he says, only fools demand justice. For where would we be if we got it? No mercy is our only hope. No, he says, no, mercy is our only hope from God and our neighbor's only hope from us as well. We need God's mercy and we need to be giving mercy to those around us. Jesus desires from us mercy above religion. You realize that, that that sometimes we come to him and we have these ideas of what God wants us to be. We, you know, he wants us to be in church and he does. He wants us to read our Bibles and he does. He all these lists of things that we do, but above all of those things, Jesus desires that we be mercy showers, that we look around towards others and we have grace with them, that we have compassion on them, that we are forgiving. Listen to what the scripture says. And it says, as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick go and learn what this means. And then he quoted from the Old Testament, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. That phrase, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, what Christ was trying to tell them is, your religion means nothing if you don't have mercy in your heart. That you can come and you can offer up all the gifts that you choose. You can come and be very religious. You can follow all the steps of the law. But if you lack this mercy, you're missing what I really want from you. The New Living Translation reads that this way. Then he added, now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. For I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know that they are sinners. God desires us to be merciful. In fact, he got on to the Pharisees. He said, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites. For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides, straining at a gnat and swallowing a camel. So Jesus described this idea that without mercy, he says, you're like those that would strain at a gnat and swallow a camel. I mean, you're okay with the the big big things, but you have a problem over little silly things. And when we think of that in context with our beatitude this morning, blessed are the merciful, wouldn't we all be just a little bit more blessed or happy if we learned to show mercy? Wouldn't we find real happiness, true happiness, if we could be merciful and get over the little things? And isn't that the the reality that it's usually not the big things in life that that trip us up, it's usually the little silly things. I'll never forget early on in starting the church in Vallejo, we were dealing with some some 
very tough families. And I'll never forget getting a phone call during one of my afternoons. And I got the call and the guy's on the phone and he says, Preacher, I need you to come over right now. And in the background, I heard yelling and screaming. And, and he says, my wife is, she's crazy right now. I need you to come. And I'm thinking, that's just what I want to do. <laughs> and I said, I'll, I'll come over. <laughs> Knowing what I know now, I probably wouldn't do that again. He says, here, you talk to her. And he hands the phone to her while I'm on there. And she says, you come right on over. I got some of this for you too. <laughs> I said, hung up <laughs> and I went over and boy they were having a knockdown drag out I mean it was a big one and this couple had some big issues to deal with but when I finally settled them down and got one on one side of the room and the other and said now what's what's going on what what what, what happened and the reality was he complained about the way that I rolled his socks I said what He complained about the way that I rolled his socks. And I said, there's got to be more to this story than that. And there was, but but isn't that the way we are? Sometimes, I mean, the big issues don't trip us up. It's the little things. Maybe they're the straws that break the camel's back. But wouldn't learning to be merciful, wouldn't learning to be merciful make us happier? Couldn't we just let go of a lot of things that just set us off and upset us? That's where true happiness is. In the scripture today, I'm going to share with you two stories from from God's word that Jesus tells about mercy. And I hope that they'll relate to us. And the, the first one, if you're following along, is found in Matthew chapter 18, the same book that we find the Beatitudes here. He says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. That's mercy, isn't it? If you were owed the money and, and the man says, just, you know, have mercy. And when he said have patience, he was saying have mercy. And he lets him out of prison. He refuses to sell him. He forgives him the debt. But the story goes on. But when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, a much smaller amount than that which he had been forgiven. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience or have mercy with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant? as I had mercy on you. And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. I'd say mercy is pretty important in Jesus' teaching. Can you imagine the audacity of this man who has been shown such great mercy that this ruler forgives him this enormous debt 
He just didn't give him time to pay it off. He forgave him the debt. I mean, how many of us have maybe experienced that in life or maybe wished that we could experience something like that? You ever had to call someone and say, hey, I know I owe you this money, but I don't get paid until next week. And they'll usually say, yeah, sure, well, we'll, we'll let you pay that next week. How many of you, if you made that call and they said, you know what, don't even worry about it. We'll just forgive it. Your PG&E bill, you know, your Southern California Edison, you know, call them and say, hey, you know, I'm a little tight right now, it's Christmas. And they say, oh, don't worry about it. We'll forgive you. Mercy, mercy, mercy. Makes us happy, 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 right? But this enormous debt is forgiven him. What an act of mercy. And yet, the man's response is to go out and find someone else who owes him a much lesser amount and hold him accountable without mercy. How many of us have been forgiven some pretty terrible things by our Father in heaven? Remember, for all have sinned, fallen short of the glory of God. There's none righteous. How many of us have been forgiven by this merciful God? Every one of us. And for us then to go out in turn and find those who have offended us or those who have sinned against us and try to hold them accountable for what they've done without mercy just seems to go against this whole idea of blessed are the merciful. Mercy is patterned by God in Scripture, isn't it? Jesus taught it in this story, but God Himself patterns it. In Luke 6, 36, He says, Be ye therefore merciful, as your Father also is merciful. In other words, when I show mercy to others, when I'm patient with others, and I'm compassionate with them, and I'm forgiving with them, I am just acting like my Father. I'm acting like God. He says, Judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you shall be forgiven. Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, and shaken together, and running over, shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that you meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. You know, so often we read that passage of Scripture, and we just equate it to the idea of giving, don't we? We talk about, man, if I give to God, I'm going to be given back, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. In other words, I can't outgive God, and we can't. He blesses us. But really, in the context here, he's not just talking about giving financially. He's also talking about giving mercy, isn't he? He's talking about granting forgiveness. And he says, with the same measure that you give it out is what you're going to receive. Now, if we're not prone to be merciful, that's a little frightening, isn't it? If we make statements like, I will never forgive this person, and then couple it with this scripture that says, the same measure of mercy and forgiveness you grant to others is how it's going to be measured out to you. That's a little frightening. Blessed are the merciful. Mercy is balanced in its application, isn't it? He said, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. That in order for me to receive that great mercy that I so desperately desire, I also need to be merciful. And Jesus told a second story. This story, he says, Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side also. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. 
And when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. And that is a story of mercy, isn't it? That's a story of compassion, and it really goes hand in hand with what Jesus said when he says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I desire that you be mercy showers, not so much just religious people. And here he nails it on the head because he tells a story with three people involved in it. One is a priest, the other the, the, the Levite, and now the Samaritan. And the religious people pass up an opportunity to show mercy on a man who has been beaten and robbed and left for dead. But the third man, the Samaritan, comes along and he has compassion. He does something about this. And Christ asks the question at the end of the story. He says, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among robbers? And the answer was the one who showed mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. And that's what Christ sent them out to do. He told a story about this mercy that was given by this man. And then he says, now you go and do the same thing. Let me give you four lessons that we learned from that story that are so important about mercy. And it's this first and foremost. Mercy focuses on those who are hurting. Mercy focuses on those who are hurting. When we have mercy in us, if we want this blessedness, this happiness that comes from being merciful, it means that we take notice of people that are hurting. That we don't avoid them and think, oh man, I know what's going on in their life. I'm not even going to ask them how they're doing today because I already know and I don't need it poured on me. Mercy says, I notice something's wrong and I'm going to do what I can to help. Mercy notices the hurting. Mercy notices those that maybe the world looks at as being unlovely or unlovable. We sometimes use words like messed up. But a heart of mercy sees them and says they're hurting. In fact, one author said that although grace and mercy are very similar, grace is poured out on those, it is just this blessing on someone. Mercy is poured out specifically on those who are hurting and miserable. And so a heart full of mercy notices those. It notices the tears that fall on someone's cheek. It notices the the downcast face. It notices the spirit that seems to be crushed. It notices the needs in people's lives. And that's exactly what this Samaritan did. Others had passed by, but it says he saw him and he had compassion. There's happiness to be found in that. Secondly, mercy fills our hearts with compassion. We don't just see things and are calloused by them, but we see them and we ache because of what we've seen. We realize that the pain that these people must be in. If you've ever sat in a hospital waiting room and just watched, and sometimes there are people there that you may not know, you don't know their circumstance, but man, you can tell they are hurting. And a merciful person There's something in us that just wells up. The compassion comes out. And we can't help but feel for them. This man had that compassion, didn't he? He saw the man and he could not just keep walking by. With compassion, he stopped. 
The third thing that mercy does is mercy moves us into action. Not enough for us just to say, I see hurting people. My heart hurts for them. But when we have true mercy, it moves us to do something. It moves us to maybe bring canned foods to our church so that we can help feed people. It moves us to maybe bring a gift with a little boy or girl's name written on it because we see families that are hurting that children might not have things. Or it moves us to perhaps help pay a a light bill every once in a while. It moves us to drop off a bowl of chicken soup to someone who's down and discouraged. But mercy, whatever it is we do, the point is that it leads us to do something. Aren't there times when when we're filled with this mercy, when we see someone hurting and our heart hurts with them and and we just want to do something? Have you been there? And maybe you say, but I don't know what to do. Just do anything. Just do something. If it's an email or a a text message or a phone call or a a greeting card or a a letter or, or maybe it's just a hug. But those who are merciful do something. They do something. And finally, and this story illustrates it so well, mercy is not hampered by our differences. See, the Samaritan had every reason not to help this poor soul. There were some definite differences between the two. There were some racial issues that were in that day. And yet he overstepped those. He looked beyond those. There were probably some economic differences between these men. And and true mercy, if it's in our lives, doesn't see the color of someone's skin. It doesn't pay attention to what side of the town they live on. It doesn't pay attention to how they're dressed. It doesn't pay attention to how young or how old they are. True mercy looks beyond all of that. And it says, I see what's going on. I feel for them. And I'm going to do something for them. And I don't care where they're from. I don't care what they look like. I don't care how old they are, how how young, how rich, how poor. I just don't care. I don't care if they smell good or smell bad. I don't care if they've got long hair or short hair. I don't care if they're young and healthy or if they move around in a wheelchair. I've got to do something. And this man stopped and he did something. That is what true mercy is. And what Jesus told us in the Beatitudes is he says, happy are those who are merciful, who practice this, because they will receive mercy. That Beatitude at first makes it sound like we start the process of mercy. It almost sounds like if we're merciful, then God will pay us back by giving us mercy. But we know that for by grace are you saved through faith. We know that we're not saved by our works. This mercy comes after our salvation. This mercy is a direct result of what God has done for us in our life already. And when we think about what we've just discussed here, isn't that what God has done in our life? Didn't God look down with mercy and focus on our hurting? Doesn't God see what's going on in our lives and have mercy on us? The very fact that the God of all this universe even knows what we're hurting about today is marvelous, isn't it? 
That of all the things, and, and I know that God doesn't worry, but of all the things that God could concern himself with, in mercy he looks down and he concerns himself with my hurts and your hurts. He concerns himself with serious things like cancer or illness. He's concerned with those who have lost loved ones to death. But he's also concerned with those who feel alone or those who have things that maybe others wouldn't think are important but are important to them. This last week, Kathy came home, and man, I am a happy camper again. I think I gained five pounds in the first day she got home. <laughs> While she was gone, it was not a happy place in our house. I had, not because her mother-in-law was here. That has nothing to do with it. But we, we love animals. Most of you know that. And while she was gone, we have a rabbit that's been getting up there in years. And, and the rabbit finally went to rabbit heaven. Amen. And so we went out and we had our little funeral service, Kayla and I. And I had to call Kathy and say, hey, by the way, Fufu died. You know, and, and just a few days later, I had to call her. And we have a bird that's getting up there in age two. And Rocky died. And I said, okay, I got to call Kathy. I said, hey, just so you know, I chose to text her with that one. Uh, <laughs> I said, hey, just so you know, Rocky died. And she takes back a sad face, and I said, but your mom's okay. I'm taking her home now. But you know, we kind of laugh at those things, but those were a couple sad days in that week for us. I know it wasn't cancer, and I know it wasn't like, you know, a family member died, or, but it was still sad. And I also know there's a God in heaven that is so powerful and so all-knowing and, and, and so merciful that he looks down on us and he says, I know it hurts, doesn't it? He's merciful. He sees our hurts. And he looked down and he had compassion on us, didn't he? Really, the mess that we have made of our lives at times, God would have been justified just to have taken us out, Right? But he looked down and he had compassion on us. In fact, one of the scriptures says that Jesus saw the multitudes and he was moved with compassion. He had this compassion on us because of mercy and it flowed into action, didn't it? That God looked down and he saw our hurt, he saw the mess we were in, and even though some of the hurt that he saw was self-inflicted because of our sins, he was compassionate and he said, I will send my son Jesus to die for them on an old rugged cross so that I can fix what's wrong here. And his mercy was not hampered by any of our differences. He sent Jesus to die for the black and the white, the rich and the poor, the young and the old, the healthy and the maimed. He showed mercy on us. And that in turn should flow out of us. Let's not be like that man in the story that God, that God would show this great mercy on us and then we turn around and go out into this world and be merciless with those that we deal with. Let's let His love flow through us. Let's let his mercy flow through us because one day we'll stand before God again. 
And in his kingdom, once again, we'll say, God, have mercy. Happy are those that show mercy. If you're struggling with happiness, if you're struggling with true happiness, mercy is a great place to start. Maybe you're here today and you're holding a grudge or you're bitter or you're upset with someone. It's time to let mercy rule. It's time to let mercy take over. It'll give you the happiness that you need. Or if you're here and you're so wrapped up in what's going on in your life, I'll tell you one of the greatest things you could do to really find happiness is take the time to notice some folks around you and to pour out some mercy on them. I want to end with just reading you the words to a song. Uh, You've maybe heard this song. It says, Once there was a broken heart, way too human from the start, and all the years left you torn apart, hopeless and afraid. Walls I never meant to build left this prisoner unfulfilled. Freedom called, but even still, it seemed so far away. I was bound by the chains from the wages of my sin. Just when I felt like giving in, mercy came running. Like a prisoner set free, past all my failures to the point of my need, when the sin that I carried was all I could see, and when I could not reach mercy, mercy came running to me. Let's stand. Dear God, we thank you so much for this day. God, I thank you for your mercy.